Hi, I'm Sylvain Berthelot, and you're listening to On One Condition, a podcast to raise awareness about health conditions by listening to people who live them every day. Today, my guest is Hoken Miller, and we're going to talk about Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Hi, Hoken. Nice to meet you and have you on the podcast. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks, uh, Sylvian. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, well, thank you for joining us and taking the time. As you know, I like starting with a question about a song. So what song did you choose and why? So I chose Clocks by Coldplay. It has special meaning for me because it's one of the first songs that I learned how to play on piano. And I really enjoyed that instrument and getting to play it. I don't play it as much anymore, but I think that song just signifies me being able to do something that most other people with Duchenne are unable to and kind of overcoming that adversity. So for me, that's why that song holds so much significance. Nice. I like the story behind a song and the fact that you can play it on the piano sounds very nice. Uh, well, I'll start with a question about something you just mentioned, if you don't mind. You said that people with Duchenne are not necessarily able to play the piano. Would you be able to expand on that? Yeah, I think most people that are older with Duchenne would be able to play just because of the finger strength and dexterity that is required. And with Duchenne muscular dystrophy, it's a progressive disease. So your muscles start to get weaker and weaker over time. So as a kid, you might have no trouble with the piano. But when you get to an older age like me at 26, that starts to become harder. That's part of the reason why I don't play really anymore is because, you know, my, my fingers and hands and wrists get tired out after extended period of playing. So that's the main reason why most guys with Duchenne aren't able to play piano or guitar or drums and such. Okay. Well, it's good that you've had the opportunity to, to play it at least. Mm -hmm. So for people like me who don't really know what Duchenne muscular dystrophy is, would you be able to explain how it affects you? Yeah. So Duchenne muscular dystrophy, as I mentioned, is a progressive muscle wasting condition. And by progressive, that means that is also degenerative. So my abilities get worse over time. So from a cellular level, my muscle cells lack a particular protein called the dystrophin protein. And that protein helps act as a shock absorber, essentially for the muscle cell. And so without that protein, uh, your muscle becomes a lot weaker and easier to break apart. And it's not able to grow back stronger. Like a lot of people that work out, you know, their perspective is that they break the muscle down and it grows back stronger. But in my case, it doesn't grow back at all. It just, it dies basically. So as you can imagine, as you get older and start to use your muscles more, you start to lose more of them. And then it um, becomes harder and harder to do daily activities like getting dressed on your own, showering on your own walking and eventually uh, Duchenne does affect all muscles. So that includes your heart and lungs as well. And 
that's ultimately um, what can cause the, the fatality in the disease. And it is 100% fatal and there is no cure. Wow. And if you don't mind me asking, what's the life expectancy with Duchenne? There's a lot of different estimates out there. A lot of people say mid-20s. However, at the same time, I also know people that are living into their 40s with Duchenne and even later. So I think with the advent of better care and treatment options such as steroids, which we can talk about later, the life expectancy is getting a lot better. I think that's thanks to a lot of parents and advocates and organizations pushing the envelope when it comes to the best care guidelines for those with Duchenne and to really extend life as much as possible, such as additionally using a BiPAP at night to help give your lungs more of a break and increase circulation and help your heart out a little bit more when you're sleeping ahead of the time when it's actually needed just to get in front of, I guess, the moving train before it gathers too much momentum. And so typically like the scientific community, the typical number is probably 25 to 30. However, that isn't hard and fast because of the way medicine is progressing. Yeah, and it's good to hear that there's progress, um, but it's still not, not necessarily good that there's no cure. Um, you mentioned something about, if I heard you well, like helping your lungs like using something to to so that you, you don't use your lungs as much so is it the more you use your muscles the more you lose your muscles essentially yes there's certain there's certain movements that are more damaging to muscle cells than other ones like you think about all the different moves that someone might do working out all of those are going to be very damaging, but if you're very careful about how you use them, which I have been, and really trying to conserve your energy as much as possible, you can retain some of those muscle cells. But you know, ultimately, just just the way life is, you're going to lose a lot of that as you get older, as you do more things. Your body undergoes, you know, just gravity and stress and and all of that. So that's just, that's why it's progressive. Okay, I see. And does it affect your mobility at all? Yeah, so I'm reliant on a power wheelchair to get around. I can walk as long as someone's there kind of holding me up mm-hmm. a little bit, and that's good just to kind of keep movement going through there and, and everything and helping with circulation and such. To, and my chair also has a standing feature, so it'll stand me up. And I can you know, stand up for maybe 45 minutes, which can be helpful. My upper body is still pretty good. I have difficulty reaching up above my shoulders, but I have pretty good dexterity in my hands and arms and shoulders as of right now. So that's, you know, very promising. And that's why I say, you know, I say 25 with the life expectancy, but I'm already past that. And I feel like hopefully uh, I have still have a lot longer uh, to live. So I think... That's why I'm always hesitant about giving the life expectancy. But yeah, yeah, no. That, 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 thank you for adding that nuance. Uh, it's very important to know. So, I'd like to go to your childhood, but before we do that, how does it progress? So, how 
do you realize that it's progressing and is it that it restricts like you have more restrictions in terms of what movements you can do i would say yes the progression is in the form of you know when you're younger maybe five to ten or even five to seven something like that you'll start to notice kids have very enlarged calves and that's because the calves are one of the most used muscles when you're walking around and so they start oh, okay. to degenerate and the big calves are from all the scar tissue that forms mm -hmm. because of that degeneration. You also notice that when they get up from the floor, they'll kind of walk up their legs with their hands and push their upper body up. You also notice they walk with their stomachs pointed out a little bit because we're using more of our tendons than muscles to kind of stabilize ourselves, And that's just the easiest position for our muscles to be in when we're walking. Okay. So there's some pretty clear signs that someone has Duchenne and I had all those signs. It's just no one else in my family or friends had really seen something like that. My parents knew something was off. I wasn't mm -hmm. able to keep up with everyone else. And eventually after really trying and trying to get my pediatrician to order the test to confirm the diagnosis, I was finally diagnosed when I was five and a half. And for me, the biggest sign of progressions is what I can and can't do. Okay. And every summer we went to my grandma's house in Minnesota, and that has been a pretty good comparison point as to, oh, last year I could walk on the sand, but this year I feel like if, if I walk on the sand, I'm going to fall down or, and hurt myself. Or I used to be able to get on the raft that was already in the water, and now I can't do that. Or, you know, the biggest thing is is the walking and I used to be able to get out of my chair on my own and, and walk, but now I can't because one time I fell when I was getting out of my chair and that was kind of a demarcation point where I had to tell myself, hey, like it's not safe for you to be doing this on your own anymore. Another one of those things was driving. I was driving a handicapped vehicle that was adapted with hand controls, but then using the steering wheel got a little bit hard. As I said, I had trouble lifting my arms above my shoulders which is pretty important when you're steering a vehicle. So mm -hmm. I had to give that up as well. So, and then in between, it's just, it's just slow and it kind of happens so slowly that you're not even aware of it sometimes. Okay. Uh, not in terms of those demarcation points I talked about, but just in every day. I think that's also what makes it tough is that it's so slow, but also there all the time. And then one day you're realizing, oh, I can't do that anymore. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's interesting what you said about having this reference point every year, which I guess w with slow progression like this, it, it, it it's good to be to be able to to relate to something that every year you you, you can remember what you can do or or couldn't. Mm -hmm. So going back to your diagnosis, five and a half seems relatively old considering the, the conditions you have. Is it old or is it relatively normal for uh, Duchenne? It's relatively normal. And sometimes the diagnosis doesn't come until eight years old. And in some cases I've learned. So I will say now it's gotten younger and younger, which is good because you can start doing interventional treatments. Mm -hmm. And we can talk a little bit about the approved therapies that are out there as well. Yeah. And that's really important. So that's why newborn screening is something uh, we're trying to push with our organization, uh, Cure Duchenne, 
the, the one that my parents founded that I uh, work part-time with. And mm-hmm. my hope is that we can get that age younger and younger so we can start addressing uh, the diagnosis right away rather than waiting until you know, you're five and a half and you already could be doing significant damage to your muscles. Yes, and as you explained earlier, if I understand correctly, once the muscle is damaged, there's no growing it back. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Is it painful or is it just affecting your your movements? It mainly affects my movements. When I was younger, it did get painful if I push myself too much. I would start getting cramps in my calves mostly and just fatigue and, and soreness. Mm-hmm. But right now, I feel like I do a pretty good job managing it. So I'm really blessed that pain isn't really an issue for me right now. And that can be an issue for some people that unfortunately don't get physical therapy and their muscles start to uh, contract and be in uncomfortable positions. But that's okay. why I constantly stretch every day to ensure that doesn't happen. Uh, okay, so you have kind of a stretching routine that you have to go through. Okay. Going back to to your childhood, so we've had people on the podcast explain that like growing up as a child, it's very difficult to not be able to do everything other children can do. Uh, were you affected in that way or could you follow the other children? I couldn't do exactly what everyone was doing, but I felt like me and my parents and teachers and friends were pretty good at adapting mm-hmm. activities so I could participate. So for example, when I can still walk and stand, I played goalie and soccer. So I could still be involved, but not necessarily run around the whole field all the time and damage my muscles you know, during PE for our, you know, monthly or bi-yearly physical fitness checkups, I would do the stretching aspect of it and not the running the mile or the pull-ups or anything like that. And then I think for me, video games was huge because that was not a physical activity, more or less, that I could also engage with with my friends. And so that was huge for me. I think that helped me a lot help me kind of feel like fitting in to everyone else. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe I also am blessed to have a form of Duchenne that isn't as severe as some others. So I was able to be pretty active up until I would say beginning of high school. Then I kind of started slowing down and it actually worked out that during high school, sports aren't exactly a thing that everyone is into anymore and physical activity. And, you know, I spent more time in an academic sense, you know, going the classes I was part of my yearbook team and then my newspaper team. And so I would say, yes, there were some times that were difficult where I just wanted to be able to keep up with everyone else. But yeah. we also balanced that by trying to find activities that everyone could enjoy uh, that wasn't physical. So another one was Boy Scouts and that was more leadership based and things like knot tying and wilderness survival and just, you know, knowing the Boy Scout motto and doing different service projects and the final project that you do as an Eagle Scout uh, is to do a service project and you basically dictate what everyone else should do because it's kind of a leadership exercise. And so you don't actually do a lot of the work. You have people helping you out doing that work. So there are a lot of different ways that 
on the outside might not look super adaptive in the traditional sense, but were adaptive to what my needs were. That's really good, and that's that's really not something I hear a lot. So it's good to hear that you benefited from adaptations that helped you uh, still take part. Um, no, that that's great to hear. So you mentioned uh, something about steroids earlier. So is that the treatment that you're under? Yes, the the basic way it works. I don't know the scientific mechanism, but steroids help reduce inflammation in the muscle cells, which is a huge issue with, you know, the muscles dying off uh, when they get overused. And so mm -hmm. I don't remember the change from before and after steroids because I started steroids when I was maybe six and I've been okay. on it ever since, so 20 years. So it's just kind of part of life for me. But my parents did say once I was on steroids, they noticed a immediate difference. I was I was running with my friends. I was on the playground. I had a burst of energy that seemed like it came from nowhere. And steroids for me were very helpful. I know that's a debate for a lot of patients because there are a lot of side effects to them. Yeah, There's the weight gain aspect of it. There's the immunocompromised aspect of it. I know like my skin breaks out a lot easier and I have to deal with like fungal outbreaks and such because it does mess with your immune system and ability to, to kind of fight off that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And also there's the, the weight gain as well and the appearance of like the chubby appearance. And we've been able to manage those side effects pretty well. I know it was difficult. And there's also a behavioral side effect too uh, that caused people to be emotional or act out. And the way we combated that was I'm really conscientious about my diet. I wouldn't say I'm overly healthy, but I'm just very conscious about my choices and making sure I eat my vegetables and not too many carbs and and such. And then with the behavioral issues, I kind of, as I got used to the steroids, I was able to grow out of that a little bit. And then, you know, acne and stuff that there's treatments you can do for that. And one other thing I should mention is that the steroids can cause osteoporosis early on. And so I was on medication for that for, for a long time now on a drug holiday from it, but that helped a lot to keep my muscles strong or to keep my bones strong, I should say. And so yes, steroids are great. And I think they deserve a lot of credit for the condition I am right now, but they come with their side effects and we've just had to manage those. Yeah. And it's interesting. You, in a lot of things you've mentioned so far, uh, such as the stretching, your diet, there seems to be routine that you've you're following to work through the condition. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's definitely fair to say, and that's a formula that we're trying to evangelize to the rest of the Duchenne community. You know, as far as stretching and telling people how to stretch properly, and diet, and nutrition, and all the medications that I take, and so. I feel like we're trailblazers in a lot of ways with Duchenne. I feel like we're the generation that, you know, has a great opportunity and a lot of treatments available to kind of get in the way of that progression as much as we can. And mm -hmm. I think that's why uh, we're living so much longer and having families and having a fulfilling lives is because of all of that. And so we want to make sure everyone is aware of all that information and has that information. 
it's ultimately up to them what they want to do with it. But yeah, there is something that we can do. And I think that's really helpful for a lot of parents that are told that there is nothing that they can do and that they should just watch their child progress and then pass away. And there's nothing you can do. But I would say that there is something you can do. And that's, I think, the beautiful thing. And I would say there's a lot of hope now with all these treatments that are coming out as well. Yeah, and you, we'll come back to the the treatments uh, in a bit. But you mentioned something about community. Uh, and I wanted to ask you about patient advocacy as well. So do you uh, advocate for Duchenne to communities? Um, is it, How did it come to you uh, becoming a patient advocate? It mainly happened because, like I said earlier, my parents started this organization, Cure Duchenne, back when I was diagnosed. We're celebrating our 20th year, so it would be uh, 2003 that they started it. And okay. at first, you know, I kind of just did my kid childhood thing and focus on school and college and work. And then I would say when I became more of a teenager, I got involved in speaking at different events. And I think we realized that we needed someone with Duchenne to be speaking up and at these events so people could really understand that there is a person behind it and there's all these boys behind it. And so mm-hmm. I started speaking at events and it's grown from there and I have people asking me questions, reaching out to me on different social media platforms. And I think a lot of people in the community are looking for answers and information. And at least a lot of the younger families are seeing my successes and what I've done and the things I've done right, also the things I've done wrong and wanting to learn from that. And so it just kind of happened organically to be that in that advocate position. And how did you figure out that your diet is important, for example? Is it something that you read about alongside the the steroids treatment, or is it something that you tried? My parents already were very healthy to begin with, so I just kind of grew up that way, and they continued on, and maybe were even more strict with it when they found out my condition, and that, you know, I couldn't exercise as much, and so and plus the steroids is gives you more appetite. So mm-hmm. it really had to be disciplined with me in terms of eating my vegetables and not eating too many sweets, not eating too many carbs and yeah, just focusing on high protein diet and low carb diet. And, you know, that's mainly what I've been on my whole life and it's worked really well for me. Mm-hmm. We, you know, make little adjustments here or there, adding whey protein to a smoothie or you know, adding more salad into my diet or more greens into my diet. I think it's something that everyone kind of has to figure out. I think there are some basic tenets about, you know, you don't want to overdo the carbs and sweets and such because you're not exercising or using your muscles or increasing your metabolism as much. But within that, what fruits and vegetables you decide to eat, how you eat it, when you eat it, that really does depend on the person. And I think more and more information is coming out, whether you have a rare disease or not, your diet is very specific to your own genetics and blood type and such. Yeah, but it's difficult to keep track sometimes because a diet will be pushed to the public for five years and then we realize it's not the best diet. So what I'm hearing is that you yourself first had a good diet to start with, but then did some adjustment, which some of which worked, some of which may not have worked, but... 
um, you did kind of trial and error to, to find the right diet. Is that right? Yeah. And yeah, it yeah. is unfortunate that the right diet is, you know, every five years is pushed. And I think you just have to try to look at the science as much and, you know, science is always evolving. So that might change over time, but you have to look at that. And also just how does your body react to what you're eating? I think your body is telling you a lot of things. And I think a lot of people are blind to that. And I really try to be in tune with my temple, as they say, and try to understand what different foods makes me feel a certain way and how it adjusts and how it um, affects my digestive system and all those different things regarding your health. Yeah. So I'd like to to switch to um, something you mentioned earlier around approved therapies. Uh, and actually, that's how I noticed your uh, your social media profile, because I think you were commenting about a new therapy that had just been approved. Would you like to share a bit more on that, if you know about it? Yeah, so the first gene therapy for Duchenne muscular dystrophy was approved over the summer. I don't remember the exact date uh, by the food, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. And that is uh, the drug known as Elevitis, manufactured by Sarepta Therapeutics. And gene therapy, in this case, works by delivering a working copy of the gene that is deficient, which I mentioned earlier, the dystrophin gene that creates the dystrophin protein. Mm-hmm. So the idea is to put a truncated version of that protein inside someone's cell so that it will start making that protein and then causing the the muscle to become stronger. And so it's delivered through a viral vector, meaning it's delivered through a virus. And so there are some issues with that, with your antibodies and your own body attacking that, that foreign virus that's trying to deliver that healthy or that working copy of the gene. But essentially that's how gene therapy works. And this is the first one to be approved in Duchenne. Yeah, it's, I think it was a great moment. I think it was similar to the moment in 2016 when the exon skipping therapies, which is a slightly different model that achieves the same results, uh, those were approved. Gene therapy really tries to address more of the root cause of the condition uh, than other therapies. And so, yeah, it was an exciting approval. And I think for the Duchenne community, it means a lot more companies are going to be interested in developing these treatments, which hopefully in the long run will help more boys with Duchenne. Yeah, yeah. And do you know how effective it is? Uh, what's the expectation? Is it that it will slow uh, slow it down or is it meant to be curing it? It's it's meant to be slowing it down. They haven't figured out a way to reverse anything yet. Hopefully they'll be able to because that would be huge. But the idea is either to stop the progression or slow it down. And, you know, the data, and this is why it was a little bit controversial, the data said one thing and the families were saying another thing like, oh, it made this huge impact in my child. And the F, you know, and on the other side, people were saying there was no statistical benefit in the clinical trial and such. And so my perspective on it, and I wrote this in my op-ed for Stat News, was that whether or not it is effective, some families don't see the same benefit as others. It's important that families have the right to be able to try this new treatment when there isn't anything else available, it's you know their only hope in this case. And so if it can even slightly change the outcome, then I think it would be a win. Yeah, I agree. Is it something you can benefit from? 
Yeah, it is. But again, the uh, approval was only for four to five year olds. So that's a very small percentage of the Duchenne population. Many guys with Duchenne are not even diagnosed by that. You know, I was diagnosed at five and a half, so I wouldn't yeah. have uh, qualified for it, even if it was out when I was diagnosed. So there's still some limiting factors to like age. And I think they did that because there's concerns about the immune response in older patients because you have to deliver a lot more of the viral vector because the patient is bigger and has more muscles at that point. So there's different challenges that, you know, it's a great step forward, but there's also challenges that it brings as well. And so that's why the hope is that more and more companies will kind of compete to deliver this to Duchenne patients and hopefully innovate so that it can become more effective and help more people. Yeah, and you mentioned newborn screening earlier, and now with the treatment, or at least this treatment being limited to four and five-year-olds, it makes more sense that you're pushing for uh, more newborn screening. Exactly. I think when you're able to identify it at such a young age, you're able to see the most benefit. And like I said, you don't have to deliver as much of the viral load to someone. So it's also safer as well. How would that newborn screening work? Would that need to be uh, a genetic test or are there other ways uh, new newborns could be screened? So in the United States, they have the uh, recommended uniform screening panel that all babies go through when they're born. There's a little, po- they give a little poke on the big toe or something like that and take a blood spot and do a bunch of tests on it. However, uh, Duchenne is not on that recommended panel that most states implement. So right now we're in the process of trying to get that implemented across all states and federally so that it's automatically screened for when someone is born. Okay. Are you managing to make progress? Yeah, we're making progress. I believe the last I know is that there's a few studies that are out there that the data has kind of come in and is going to be presented to the panel that, or the group that makes the decision on that recommended uniform screening panel. And hopefully uh, they'll add it in. Amazing. Uh, when you say we are pushing for this, is it through Cure Duchenne? Yeah, exactly. That's something that's big you know, for the foundation, but I think also just for the community as a whole, because the earlier we can get the diagnosis, the better treatments yeah. we can get to them earlier. Yeah. Would you like to share a bit more about Cure Duchenne? So you said that your parents started it. How long has it been going on? Yeah, so we're in our 20th year right now. We've been able to raise millions of dollars for research. That's really the focus of the organization. And our model is to basically invest the funds that we raise through our different events, like the golf tournament we have coming up, and put that into early stage companies that are working in Duchenne research. And then eventually they'll get bought out by a larger company. And since we had invested early on, we get a portion of, of that buyout. So we kind of refer to it as venture uh, philanthropy. Mm-hmm. And we're one of the first people to do that model. And I've seen a lot of success in that. We co-founded a company called Exonix a few years back. And they were, I believe in 2019, acquired by Vertex, which is a big pharmaceutical company. And so we're able to see some gains in that and then able to reinvest that into other research that is also looking at overcoming the challenges of gene therapy, but also, you know, looking at 
uh, gene editing as well, which is when you're using CRISPR-Cas9 to directly cut and paste uh, different uh, DNA in someone's uh, genetics, essentially. Heavily focused on that, but we also do focus on care and community, which we have with different events where we go out to different states. For example, we're going to be going out to Milwaukee to talk about physical therapy and just the best care for a patient with Duchenne. Just like I said, I think education is so powerful in this disease. Then we also have a huge gathering of patients and family and advocates and pharmaceutical representatives and adaptive technology and equipment and such. And it's called Futures because we're really looking toward the future and that eventual cure. And what can we do now to make our boys as healthy as possible? So when that cure comes, which is ultimately going to be a combination of a bunch of different therapies, they can um, see the most benefit from it. So that's what we do in a nutshell. Wow, that's incredible. There's something you mentioned about investing in research. First of all, like it sounds like the the model you have is working very well. So congratulations for that. How do you make that decision to invest in a certain area of research versus other areas? Yeah, so we have a very well-qualified scientific team okay. that vets a lot of research and also consults with a lot of companies because we've seen so many treatments that have out, out there that haven't shown promise and a lot that have shown promise. So we are able to give pretty good feedback um, as you know for early stage companies into their technology and their science, and then also find companies that may not be working in Duchenne, but the technology they're working on could help people with Duchenne. So they do a great job of vetting the research, finding research, and also counseling, you know, startups on their research. So that's the biggest way we decide who we want to invest in. Wow. Sounds really very, very good place to work for and, and something that must really mean a lot for you. How do people get in touch with uh, Cure Duchenne if they want to? Yeah, if you want to be involved, um, it's uh, curedushen.org. All of the information is there. Amazing. Thank you. Well, it's a very powerful message of hope. And it really sounds incredible what you, like the rest of the team at Cure Duchenne, do. Before we go, um, I'd like to ask you one last question, which is the, the one I love asking people. What's your happy place, a place where you feel at peace? That's a great question. I would say my happy place is, I mentioned earlier, uh, going to Minnesota with my family every year to see my grandparents. And they have a cabin uh, there in the Minnesota Northwoods, and it's very peaceful and tranquil there. And I feel like I have a time to actually think and collect my thoughts and pray, just spend time between God and I and my surroundings. And I would say that's one of my happy places, and it's really peaceful. And that's partially why I like it so much. <laughs> well, that's a very good reason. And when you were describing it, I, I was kind of there. I could feel it. And it does feel very peaceful. So uh, it sounds really nice. 
It's beautiful. Well, Hoken, thank you so much for uh, sharing on, on the podcast. It sounds so um, amazing what you do through Cure Duchenne. Uh, I really wish you and, and the community and everyone who works at Cure Duchenne the best of luck. Uh, but it sounds like you have a very good way of approaching it. So I'm sure you're going to be successful. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. And you can also um, find me personally on social media. My name is uh, pretty easy to find out there. So It is, and we'll put a, a link to your LinkedIn profile on the website for people to find you easily. Thank you so much, Hoken, and all the best for the future. Thanks, Sylvia. It was a great conversation.